When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Metal Mike, and in this episode, we talk to the man with that killer crazy voice, Jim Gillette from Nitro. We talk all about what he's up to today. We revisit Nitro's classic debut, OFR. We hear who some of his influences are, and a whole lot more. Check it out. Well, Jim, welcome to the 80s Glam Metalcast. How you doing, man? Good, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. So catch everybody up with uh, yourself and like, what you do for a living now today. What, what have you been up to? Uh, I've been uh, in real estate since Nitro. Bought and sold hundreds of houses, built uh, apartment complexes, subdivisions, bridges, roads, canals, you name it. Nice. You still write music you've been kicking around any song ideas in recent times yeah i got a bunch of songs that i've been messing with hopefully this fall this winter i'll start putting some stuff down what kind of direction is this material all over the map uh (laughs) (laughs) whatever strikes me at the time some uh some kind of light stuff and some really 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 heavy stuff most of it's kind of either real heavy or real not heavy <laughs> Not much middle ground. What do you listen to nowadays? Is that kind of where, where your listening is? Like heavy stuff, light stuff, all over the board? You know what? I don't really listen to much. Mm-hmm. I've always, I've always kind of got. If, instead of listening to something on the radio or something, I'm doing stuff. I'm driving to the store. I'm writing a tune in my head. <laughs> right, right. Uh, if you end up doing something in the fall like uh, under what name would it be is it would it be like a jim gillette solo album or what are you thinking i've got some stuff for something like that and i've got some stuff for a, a real heavy band that uh, i've been thinking about creating nice well that's yeah. that's good to hear man i'm i'm excited to hear that well it's uh it's fun to mess with you know and then when you start really getting down to it it turns into not quite as much fun and then when you're around the corner and you just actually start recording then it gets back to being fun again (laughs) so man let's get right into it OFR that's one of my all-time favorite albums I mean we're 30 plus years since it came out when you listen to it today what do you think of it uh I think I was a lunatic (laughs) (laughs) I think you guys were all pretty nuts right (laughs) yeah yeah uh I think that uh we set out and did what we what we wanted to do the highest and the fastest Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't heard anybody since then that you know has the the octave range that I used on that album or come anywhere close to the thirty two second uh, machine gun eighty screen. So right, you know, it's still uh, it's still winning as far as uh, the big long screens go. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean the songs are so catchy, and like you said, I mean it's heavy at times, it's glammy at times. It's just a nice mix of sounds. At least for me, it's it's two sounds that I love together. Yeah, I, uh, it's weird. I, I have I have good good thoughts about it, bad thoughts about it wishful thoughts you know i wish we could add a you know a real uh, a real producer like maybe bob rock or somebody uh-huh, from uh-huh. back in the day you know they're uh, 
the sound i wasn't i was never neither was mike we were never happy with the sound uh we didn't have much of a budget and then uh you know the record company they were pushing us in directions and i wish they would have just left us alone and gave us a real good producer you know yeah so they kind of from what i heard you guys say a few years back is they kind of encouraged you guys to kind of go overboard a little bit with shredding and screaming that's correct right yeah more more than more than uh it was like pretty much we were supposed to right that's why we signed you guys kind of thing so when you go back and you listen to like the gunning for glory album that you guys put out and i know that's a lot of like the original demos was that how you met for it to sound is i mean still the same songs but a little bit more straightforward is that what you really were hoping for yeah that was a little more what we were what we were going for before you know we were kind of pushed to go absolutely ballistic they kind of turned it into an olympic event (laughs) that's probably why i said i haven't heard anybody you know do a 32 second screen that i right it was it was almost like you know hey man you guys are in the olympics you gotta win the gold and you know my job was to go as high and as low and as crazy harmonies and long screams you know it's just they didn't say it quite like that but if we give them something that wasn't crazy like that they'd tell us to do more or go right. faster or sing higher or, you know well they had the right guys man because you definitely pulled it off yeah <laughs> they won the olympic <laughs> <laughs> the olympic you guys got the gold but you know yeah. one thing i'll say man is you know you people can say okay yes you know it, it was a little overload on, on the, the screaming and the shredding but honestly you know i think that's the charm of the album you know what i mean like it sets it apart from a lot of the other bands because you can listen to a lot of these other bands and they're good bands but at the end of the day you might get confused between you know babylon ad xyz you know it kind of all kind of morphed together but nitro was in a league of its own you know you can't put that album next to the other ones and and not notice a difference you know what i mean so i feel like you know looking back for me you know i thought maybe as an adult i'd listen to this and say oh this is this is too much but i actually like it more now than ever because i'm like it's just different it's cool it's unique right right yeah we 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 were happy that we didn't sound like anyone and that we were you know like for me the big part for me was uh the huge harmonies you know a lot of those harmonies are three to five part harmonies in four different octaves <laughs> right you could have heard i wish you could have heard the background vocals with nothing i mean it, it was pretty amazing they sounded better before they mixed it and squished everything you could you know hear a little more separation and hear a little more of the different notes it was uh you know i wasn't real happy with the mix but still i mean it's you know i, I loved queen's harmonies uh-huh. so i wanted to kind of do kind of clean harmonies but take them even further you know was it like a a major pain in the ass to record all those voices because you did all of them or did you find it like like this was fun and you didn't mind doing all that work for the vocals all of the above (laughs) both (laughs) Uh, i'd break all the rules of singing you know i was singing 12 12 to 15 hours a day seven days a week and you're not supposed to be able to do that i don't know how i was able to do that but you know we uh, those harmonies god i think we had 144 tracks of vocals wow that's intense well you know do a five-part harmony and then do it in four octaves that's crazy man (laughs) you know (laughs) there's 20 right there you know yep and And then we we do i think we were doing 
four, four to eight of each part. And then we'd have counterpoint harmonies because Mike's like this, you know, musical madman mm -hmm. genius. And uh, I'd say I wanted to sound, you know, kind of crazy. And, you know, like on El Fucking Rages, uh, one of the lines is, We are strong, we are one mm -hmm. with mm -hmm. our back. And then there'd be a, a counterpoint thing, or I don't know what the hell it is. I don't know music theory, but it'd be, We are strong, we are one with our back. <laughs> right. <laughs> it was like crazy. And there'd be four different octaves of that, and that there'd be five parts of harmonies for just that. Wow. I mean, it was nuts, dude. <laughs> 144 tracks. And what's crazy, when you think about today, like if people would do that shit today, it would all be fake. You know what I mean? They'd overlap it and, and duplicate it all on, on Pro Tools, but the, you were doing all this, like, for real. Yeah, yeah. It was the old days, man. I wow. Mean, today, they have harmonizers and they can change. Uh, they had harmonizers back then, but they sounded cheesy. Yeah. You know, yep. Very, very, yep. very cheesy. Uh, today, I mean, you can take a vocal track and put it in a different key. Yep. Move yep. it to a different key, and it still sounds real. I mean, it's crazy. It is. It is. Uh, do you have a favorite song on that album? Probably Freight Train. Freight Train. Yeah. Well, you can't go wrong oh, with Freight that, Train. <laughs> that was the first. That was the first song Mike and I wrote together. That's a killer one. I always love Machine Gun Eddie just because it's so over the top, you know. And yeah, uh, <laughs> I, think that one, I almost said that one. I almost said that one. I kind of like the glammy ones though, like Double Trouble and Nasty Reputation. That's that's kind of always you know, been I my love style. The bridge in Double Trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Breaks down the blackened sky, fills your heart with emptiness, and pain fills your heart. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Out of, out of nowhere, just just real kind of dreamy, mellow thing. I liked it when we do changes like that. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely good stuff. Now, what was the story with Bobby Rock being on that album? I mean, were you guys just big into Vinnie Vincent Invasion? Because in some ways, Nitro is like Vinnie Vincent Invasion on steroids. Is that how why he kind of came into the mix, at least for the album? Um, I just thought he was the best drummer out there at mm -hmm. the time. Yeah. And uh, we just, yeah, he was never a member of Nitro. We just asked him to. Uh, play on the album. Did you like Vinnie Vincent Invasion? Did you like what, what Vinnie Vincent was all about? I loved uh, the first one with Robert Fleischman on vocals. I thought he was an amazing singer. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Yeah. And you know, Vinnie is a shredder, you know, <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah. I was I was actually approached by uh, Dana Strum about uh, singing with Vinnie at one point. I think it was right before they had Mark, got Mark. Wow, and uh, I, told him, I, I just uh, you know I loved I loved the band, but I just I liked uh, Robert very much, and I thought he you know he had a great voice, and it never really works out, you know. Right, <laughs> right. You know, uh, as great as Ripper is, Priest didn't do anything with Ripper, you know. Right. Uh, except, except, I mean, he, he, on and on and on. Uh, Maiden when they got uh, what Blaze, Blaze, yeah. You know, it just never really works. No. And, uh, and I was excited about doing my own thing, and I knew if I was doing that thing, it'd be, you know, I'd be told exactly what to do. I wouldn't be able to, and I just, I wasn't into that. I didn't, I didn't want to, I figured if I kind of, if I was in a band where I was like a, a hired gun type of guy and just doing what I was told, I figured I wouldn't have any more fun than if I was working at Walmart. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> really, really. I know. I know what you're saying. Let's talk about the the photo shoot, uh, like for the back cover, because right now today, I think if you Google hair metal, I mean, this is the photo that comes up. I mean, your hair is huge. You got the metallic suit on. Michael's got the four guitars. I mean, this this has become like an iconic image, you know, for hair metal. What, what do you? What can you say about all this? Uh, again, record company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, wanting us to, to have the look. I mean, everybody had, you know, the glam kind of look. So, you know, it's, it's, it's weird. You think you won't do things if, if you get to a certain point, but then you realize, well, if you don't cooperate, they're not going to do anything. Your album's going to go straight in the toilet. Yeah. You know? So, you know, my metallic suit thing, as you called it, that thing weighed 40 pounds, dude. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. I talked to Michael before, and he, and he, he mentioned that. He goes, that, that freaking thing was heavy. <laughs> he told me that. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was uh, a little more... God, I don't know. Did, did you ever see us live? I know I never did. I, I never came... I live in upstate New York, and you guys, I don't remember you guys ever coming around. We never once played live with our hair up, or no. any makeup on, or any crazy suits. I wore jeans and t-shirt, and my hair was flat and in my face. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I was going to mention that because I know when you look at um, the long way from home video and the live shots that are in there. I mean, it looks it almost looks like a completely different band from uh, Freight Train to yeah. that video. And that's kind of where we, you know, they wanted the photos like that. They wanted this kind of bigger than life over the top you know everything the music the singing the playing and the look Freight Train came out and we were on uh, Rampage which was the metal thing of Rhino mm-hmm. now Rhino's huge today They're yeah a billion dollar company but, yep. but back then they weren't huge they were just starting out and we were on you know an indie label and Rampage was an indie indie label and they didn't too much. We didn't have a budget. We didn't have much work behind it or anything. And we sold a lot of albums. You know, yeah. A lot. Yep. Um, I think I read somewhere that when Metallica got picked up, it sold like forty thousand or something. Well, during the long way from home video, I got a call from uh, the president of Rampage, and he told me we'd sold a hundred thousand units. So it was a pretty huge feat to to sell that many on a small company. And then a long way from home, it started to break on active rock radio, and we didn't have anybody working. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It was like like we had nothing. I mean, we'd get to, I remember, uh, God, Wild Side. They were supposed to be the next Van Halen. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Ted Templeman produced them, and they had tons of money behind them. We were playing either uh, right before them or right after them in a lot of markets. And the ones where we were playing after, you know, they wouldn't have half the people we had, you know. They'd have, you know, a pretty much empty house. We'd have a full house. And I'm just sitting there thinking, I guess all the money in the world don't do it. It doesn't. No. Head over to DDR Music Group, where they are proud to be loud. Classic hair, glam, and sleaze metal, plus new stuff in that vein as well. Head over to DDR.com and check it out. So you get to Nitro 2, hot, wet, dripping with sweat, 1991. Uh, it's just a bad year for metal. Uh, what are your thoughts like on that album and everything that was going on with music and everything at the time? Yeah, it was a weird time because what happened was the, the president of Rampage, uh, Bob, 
he was a super cool dude. He, he loved it. He loved the fast stuff. He loved the high stuff. You know, he did push us, but he was a good guy and a huge fan. And he ended up uh, quitting Rampage and going to SBK. And at the time, SBK had frickin' Vanilla Ice and uh, Wilson Phillips. <laughs> right. And, and he wanted to try and bring us to SBK. I'm not exactly sure what happened. Uh, God, who was it? I forget. The, maybe it was Kaufman or Kaufman or somebody. The president, he came to see us uh, in New York, and he thought that Crazy Love was a number one hit. Uh, uh-huh. And then I never heard another thing about it. <laughs> right. so, yeah, I did get a couple of calls from, uh, you know, who was it? The one guy I knew, and I forget his name, and I hate it that I forget his name. He was vice president of Chrysalis, and he called me up and he said, Jim, Rhino thinks you're uh, the Beatles. <laughs> and he goes, uh, I talked to him and uh, tried to buy you guys out because with Halo gone, they're not going to be able to do a thing with that album. And I said, what they say? And he said, well, we were trying to negotiate. And they said, okay, and we want a million dollars. I said, a million dollars? Wow. I guess they do think we're the Beatles. And they ended up putting it out with no work, nobody working nothing. And, uh, you know, of course it didn't do anything. I mean, Bob, when Bob left, it, he took the whole, I mean, the whole machine. Bob was the machine. So when he was gone, we were pretty much gone, you know. They might as well have flushed it down the toilet. Right, right. Now, this album is a lot you know a lot different than the debut it's it's definitely a little bit more toned down a little bit more straightforward uh do you prefer one of the album over the other uh, i like OFR better yeah i like OFR better because the second one was not what we not what we were going for but again we were you know working on a, a real tight budget mm-hmm. and things were so weird you know we didn't know which way we wanted to go we almost and I wish we could have gotten out of that contract because we wanted to go just real freaking heavy. Mm, you know, more uh-huh. like, more like uh, say, Pantera. Yeah. You know, with the real heavy, the real heavy music and, you know, high scream every once in a while just to let everybody know that I'm the king of the screen. Right, you can still do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, using more of spice, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, the, thing I, the thing I didn't like about OFR was that it was like high all the time right you know, right or most of the time and you know i like singing more in a, in a heavy gruff low voice for most of the stuff i just think it sounds heavier yeah and uh and, you know more more like uh like halford used to use them yeah know? uh so f- let's fast forward to 2017 you guys it looks like you were coming back out i was excited uh you had chris adler with you on the drums uh you did release a song it won't die and but an album never really materialized what what happened what went wrong with this uh, reunion well mike had a lot of stuff going on uh his mom got sick and then she died and she was a great lady um, she was always like my second mom uh-huh. and uh that was real tough on mike and, you know he was going through that and i was building freaking houses and it just never really 
it just wasn't in the cards, you know. It's yeah. like we'd start to go and then something would happen, you know. Just didn't just didn't work, man. That's really all I can say. Yeah, because it seems like, you know, today, like a label like Frontiers or some of these who, who specialize in, in, you know, bringing back, you know, classic artists, seems like they jump all over a, nitro, a new Nitro album. Yeah, you know, we were, we were not wanting to go that route, though, uh-huh. because we didn't want to end up in a same type of thing right you know, yeah as round one and uh so we were going to try and do it on our own and, and uh had uh kane Sherco, his dad's uh kevin they do god they've done a lot of stuff five finger death punch uh hell yeah they do a lot of metal great producers great engineers you know we wanted to do it with them so we could kind of get what we'd hope we could do on the first one uh-huh. it won't die do you, do you like that song i do I do like it. Yeah, I like it. That that was our, like, to tell you how crazy and heavy the album was, you know, all the songs we were writing. That would, If that would have been c- compared to the first album, that would have been like a nasty reputation. Not a machine gun out of your freak. So you were cooking up some even heavier stuff, is what you're telling me. Oh, way heavier, man. Like, crazy. Yeah. Wow. No, okay, so I'm going to throw this at you. I, I like the song. I thought it was cool, and I understand that, you know, it, this is a, it's not 1989. You know, you, you're trying to do something different. But on the flip side of that, I think there's a lot of fans who love that album so much, they probably do want to hear something that is, you know, a little similar to that. I mean, what do you say to something like that? Well, they would have heard it. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the songs that we never recorded had a lot more of that kind of stuff in it. Okay. Yeah, that's you know it kind of sucked, especially you know when you're you're writing all these songs and nobody hears them but you. you right. Know, they yeah. don't know what you're creating. They don't know, and you don't want to play it for anybody until it's done. You know, uh-huh. and uh, they would have not been disappointed. Could that ever see the light of day? Yeah. That music? I don't know. I don't know. Think think OFR. What does OFR stand for? Out fucking rageous. Okay. How does a band, how does a, a singer and a guitar player, be real, man. If, if you've got an idea, you tell me. How do you be any more out-fucking-rageous than what we did on OFR? Right. It's, that's got, it's got to be a tough feat. <laughs> Nobody, no, there's not a guy that sang higher or lower or, you know, more octaves. There's not a good guy at the time that was playing anywhere near as fast as Mike or, you know. And, and if they could, Mike would then do it left hand, then he'd do it upside down standing on his head you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) right you know how do you get any more out fucking outrageous than what we did there so we you know what am i gonna do uh one of those was a color uh one of the notes i had on it was a color aturo soprano d the highest highs of of the women on earth okay what do i do go one note higher (laughs) right right you know that would have to me that would have been very uh the opposite of out fucking outrageous Right, right. So, kind of, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, in some respects, the point has already been made. And where do you go from here? Is that was that kind of what you're saying? Yeah. And where we were going was obviously a whole lot heavier. Uh I obviously can sing a death voice that people didn't know about. It was there was there was screams, (laughs) more like Alfred uses them. Uh There was some. Big ass OFR harmonies. Um, like I said, we just we just didn't record them. That was that was our most. Uh, it won't die. Was our most kind of normal, non-scary, non-intimidating song that we had written. 
Uh-huh. We had one called uh, Wrong Man that was insane. Had one called uh, Brutality for the Masses. It was, it was <laughs> insane. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds awesome, man. Yeah, it was it was real cool stuff. You know, uh, Chris Adler. I mean, we went from you know Bobby Rock on OFR, and you know, and I told you it's because I thought he was the best rock drummer out at the time so we got bobby chris adler i think he's the best metal drummer there is period uh-huh, uh-huh. so we got him and he brought kind of a, a new freshness and excitement to it to where it was like okay yeah we're more than capable now we can you know do whatever the hell we want not just vocally not just with the guitar but with the drums you know yeah so it really kind of opened up a whole new thing for us and man we should record we should record one of those songs just just for giggles because man it i think uh you know it sucked because we thought we were going to do something real real quick behind it and uh uh-huh. josh wilbur he uh he's the engineer and producer he did lamb of god and uh megadeth on their uh grammy winning one and uh adler brought him in and he was supposed to record three more songs with vocals and he was busy, he ended up going long, I forget who it was, might have been Trivium, so I couldn't sing it, and that's, you know, that backed us up, I don't know, four or five months, and and then, you know, Mike's mom's sick, and everything just kind of spiraled, but damn, I wish we would have got those other three, because I don't think anybody would have been worried about if they were gonna get some of that classic Nitro thing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Explain the connection with, with you and Michael, because, I mean, you guys have been friends forever. I mean, you've, you've done so much music to, together. I mean, I know you're still friends today. I mean, uh, what's the connection here with you guys? Uh, I met Mike at a party. I was living with this uh, lady. wasn't a sexual thing, just a cool lady. I was staying at her place in Venice, and she had a, a barbecue, and she invited a bunch of people, and Mike was one of the people. You know, she was encouraging me. Uh, I was in tough at the time, and she was encouraging me to start my own thing because she thought that, you know, you're too talented for tough. You need to, like, show what you can do vocally and blah, blah, blah. And she'd been telling me about Mike, and she'd been telling Mike about me. I guess Mike had seen seen me playing. And uh, he came there, and I said, hey, Mike. He didn't say a word. <laughs> <laughs> So I went to the lady and said, if your friend Mike don't say hi to me, I'm going to beat his ass. (laughs) (laughs) And she said, I'm sure he didn't hear you. He's a cool guy, blah, blah, blah. So she brings me over. Mike, this is Joe. Oh, hey. And we hit it off. And uh, I don't know, a few months after that, uh, I I had quit tough. And uh, I was doing a solo album, Proud to be Loud. Uh And I wrote that with a guy named Ralph Carter, who was a great friend. He uh, he was a bass player for Eddie Money, and he wrote that song, Shaken. Oh, nice. And, yeah, he had a little garage and an 8-track recorder. 8-track, dude. Yeah. <laughs> it, was a dinosaur. it was a dinosaur, man. <laughs> so, Ralph and I started writing, and we had a bunch of stuff written, and it was getting close to, you know, needing to find a guitar player to play. And I thought, you know what, I'll get that Michelangelo dude, he's good. (laughs) uh, So I got him to play on that, and I told him that I was going to form a band called Nitro. Actually, that's why I named his guitar solo 
on that nitro. I said, you know, do you want to do it? And he said, well, I don't know. He got his own band, and he was shopping a deal. And he's like, yeah, maybe, you know, let's let's write some songs together. And, you know, the songs were coming out real cool. He kept he kept talking to the labels, and they'd say, hey, man, or he'd say, you know, what's going on? Do you, you know, are you interested? And they'd say, well, um, what are you doing with that you like that? He was trying to get a deal for his project, but all the labels kept asking about me and him. Uh-huh. So finally, he's like, yeah, let's do it, man. And uh, he said, you know, what do you want to call it? I said, Nitro. <laughs> so that was it. And the rest is history. We, uh, we spent, I mean, if you had any idea how many hours we'd, we'd spend, 30 days, most days, we'd write for 15 hours a day, man. Wow. We'd just write songs. We wrote so many freaking songs. And, you know... Uh, we were together all the time. We lived together. We were writing music together. We toured together. We were in the studio together. I mean, you know, you just kind of bond. It's 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 either it either goes me and Mike's way, you know, friends for over thirty years, or it goes, you know, the way that the bands crash and burn way. You know, everybody hates everybody right. and blah blah blah. Right. But uh, you know, Mike's always been uh, more like family to me. I was, I was 18 years old when I met Mike. <laughs> wow, long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who are some of your vocal influences? Uh, I mean, you've got such a wide range of voices you do. Who makes up your voice? Uh, I love Queen, uh, love Metallica, Slayer, Prince, uh, Halford, of course, uh-huh. uh, Bon Scott, favorite singer, got Mariah Carey. <laughs> I've got a bit of a I've got a bit of a spread, dude. That's quite the mix there, Jim. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a little bit strange. <laughs> well man, hey, this has been awesome talking to you about Nitro. Uh what do you want to say to all your fans and, and people that have been following you all these years? Yeah, appreciate it, man. Um I'm glad uh, you're enjoying something that uh, I had a blast creating and uh Hope to make something else you like one day. Well, hey, man, yeah. been a fan for probably since 1989, so really was a pleasure to speak with you. Awesome. Uh, I enjoy it, and uh, thank you very much, man. You got it, brother. Have a good night. Take care. Well, that was super cool talking with Jim. Scroll through the channel and check out our review of Kistory, the documentary that aired on A&E. And guess what? In Volume 2, I'm actually in it for a brief moment. Dressed like Gene Simmons from Dynasty. So make sure you check those out. Rock on!